Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. I'm going to jump right in. My text comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, where the Apostle Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I want you to notice this one thing. There's only two places in the whole Bible where those three words are found together in that order. Um, and the, the other one is not really significant. Uh, so you could almost say this is the only place. Uh, where these three words are found together. Um, this one thing, just, just two times in the entire Bible, uh, King James, that these three words come together in that sequence, this one thing. And from that, I'm going to speak to you in the words of one of my mentors who died just a couple of weeks ago, Bishop T.F. Tenney. You maybe have read some of the books by his son Tommy Tenney, The God Chasers, all of that. But uh, Brother Tenney used to say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And he said that before Stephen Covey said it. In fact, uh, when I was a child, I was hearing Brother Tenney say those words, and they made it into Covey's books. Uh, The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie City Slickers, but if you haven't, you should. Uh, it's a comedy with Billy Crystal. And um, there's a scene early in that movie that uh, is, is kind of profound. The old cowboy that's uh, their guide in the cattle drive out west, his name is Curly. He's played by Jack Palance. And Billy Crystal, of course, is the lead character from the city that goes on this cattle drive for a vacation And uh, they're riding along one day, and Curly begins to give Billy Crystal a a cowboy wisdom speech. And he says, life is just about one thing. He holds out his finger, they're riding along, and he, he goes on and on and on. When you figure this out, it changes everything. When you figure this out... Everything else makes sense. When you learn what life is about, just one thing, it changes everything for you. And and this goes on for two or three minutes, and Billy says, well, what is it already? And Curly said, I don't know. You have to figure it out. Because it's not the same thing for everybody. But you have to figure out that one thing. What is the main thing? How do you keep the main thing the main thing if you don't know what is the main thing? I believe in preparing for this sermon today and and really praying about this that I think the main thing would have to be what the Bible calls 
The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's alarming, it's surprising how many times that phrase is used in the ministry of Jesus Christ. How many, many times you see in the Gospels the phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, as opposed to anywhere else in the Bible. And he, Jesus says in Luke 17, 21, For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Without taking too much time and unpacking too many scriptures, let me just briefly tell you what the Bible says, what Jesus said about the kingdom of God. He said it's invisible. He said it's hidden. He said it's the constant separation of good and bad. And he said it's inside of you. The kingdom of God, it's invisible. It's hidden. It is the ongoing separation of good and bad. And it is inside of you. These are the four things that Jesus tells us about the kingdom of God. One more time, it's invisible. It is hidden. It's hidden inside of you. And it is the constant separation of good and bad. We find in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, that the kingdom of heaven or God is like treasure hidden in a field which a man finds and goes and sells all that he has to raise the money to buy the field and gets the treasure for free. It's like the pearl of great price whose possessors are unaware of its great value, but a man finds this pearl and goes and sells all that he has in order to purchase that pearl that he is aware of its great, great value. The kingdom of heaven of great value, things of immeasurable value. See, it's hard sometimes to sort out the main thing because there can be so many good things in life. There can be so many good things in our relationship with God. There can be so many good things that we've received from our legacy as followers of Christ, from our teachers, our mentors, and our parents. There can be so many good things to choose from that it's dangerous because sometimes we choose the wrong good things to be the main things of our lives. But the main thing is of immeasurable value it's the kingdom of God. And when you take a good thing and make it the main thing, it becomes a bad thing. When you take a really good thing that's not the main thing, but you make it the main thing, it becomes a bad thing. One of the most terrible examples of someone not making the main thing the main thing is the story of Bob Pierce. I'm sorry to say his name out loud, but his daughter wrote the book about him uh, and didn't pull any punches or hide his name. So the story of Bob Pierce, who founded the well-known Christian relief organization, you've seen it on your television a thousand times, World Vision. He was a successful evangelist. He saw thousands make professions of faith 
at crusades that he held in the Far East. He was uh, uh, highly respected as in Christian circles as a great leader. He raised millions and millions of dollars to help the needy in Asia. And yet, he abandoned his family for this ministry. As a result, one of his daughters committed suicide. He and his wife eventually divorced. And World Vision, the organization that he founded and built, had to fire him eventually because of his explosive temper and his refusal to work well with others. He was very successful at some good things, but he failed at the main thing. Many other Christians have done the same thing. They've succeeded in their careers only to fail at home. Some have built hugely successful ministries only to succumb to pride or immorality. They failed to keep their relationship with God as the main thing, even in less dramatic ways. It's easy in the local church to get into battles over minor issues and forget the primary cause of the gospel. And so I ask you today again, what is the main thing? But before I tell you, another verse says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The people are unrestrained. The people don't behave properly when there's no clear vision. Because a clear vision in a home, in a family, in a church, in a corporation, a clear vision provides boundaries. It provides a clear criteria for behavior and action and process. And like a, like, like a river with banks, when you remove the banks from the river, you now have a swamp. A body of water that's going nowhere and breeding all kinds of bacteria and killing good ecosystems and thriving bad ecosystems because of a lack of banks takes away its purpose, takes away its destination, kills its flow. We're definitely living in a generation where people really don't like boundaries. People really don't like anybody asserting themselves in their life and saying, no, not in this church. Not, not, not in this corporation. Not in this company. Not in this family. It has almost become inappropriate to take a stand. To take a position on anything. And uh, there is such a culture in America today of raw rebellion. And the dangerous thing about it is, see, I lived in the 70s. I remember the 70s. All right? I wasn't born in the 70s. Uh, and, 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 and I remember the rebellion. Uh, my brother was deep in the hippie movement. LSD, the whole nine yards. He was head over heels in the hippie movement. I remember that. But the rebellion of the 70s was an overt, fist-shaking rebellion. But there's, there's a different face on rebellion today. There's a, there's a superiority of the rebellion today. There's a, this is best, this is better. Uh, in, 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 it's just a, a very, very 
deceptive uh, masquerade that has taken over that spirit of rebellion so much so that if you're a leader and you try to stand up for anything or create any boundaries or any banks, culture at wide will look at you askew and think, he's not with it, man. What's that about? There, it's, it's just out of taste and out of style to suggest any kind of boundaries or limitation. And that's not what my subject is about, but it's essential if we're ever going to be able to stay centered and keep the main thing the main thing, whether you like it or not, there has to be some authority in place that says, that isn't it. And that's not it. And no, we're not going to do that. Because that's not what we're about. That's not the main thing. We're not going to let that particular flavor, idea, or personality dominate. Because where there's no vision, the people perish. Constantly retooling our vision and reaffirming our vision is a necessary part of life, not only for churches, but for our own personal lives, for our families, and even in our corporate world. In a small church or corporation, vision and values are vulnerable. Vulnerable. In a large church or organization, vision and values can become ironclad, meaning unchangeable, and this is also not good. There needs to be a certain flexibility in our vision and our values. Uh, there needs to be also security. In a vulnerable setting like a small church, vision and values can change by accident. Your, your vision, your value can change in your church without you even knowing it or realizing it until it's too late. One new family in a church this size, can change the vision of the ministry. One new leader added to the staff who is a strong personality can change the vision or the values of a ministry this size. And it can happen, that can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. God can send somebody that really helps us uh, clarify our vision and they really add to it. But sometimes people come in who aren't in sync with the vision of the leadership of the church and they already have a strong idea about ministry or a strong personality and uh, because they're gifted, because they're talented, and because they're needed, because in a church this size, everybody's needed. Before you know it, we've given them too much room and too much rope, and they have affected the entire culture. So either way, like I said, in a very stable and successful setting, vision and values can be very hard, if not impossible, to change. And so either way, successful setting of vision and values, either way, has to be very intentional. There has to be a lot of work and constant attention in, first of all, producing and then protecting because our vision and our values produce 
and police our culture. Now that's all I'm going to say about that and, and I'm going to go in a different direction with this sermon but I felt like I had to say, I had to say that. Our vision and our values produce and protect our culture. Our vision and our values produce and protect our culture. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, something can be said or done in your church that is absolutely right and correct, but still not be in keeping with the vision and values that you have chosen and therefore becomes countercultural. I'm going to give you a couple examples. Uh, we had a situation in the lobby of our church when we were in Portable Church, which, by the way, we did this for 14 years. Congratulations, pat on the back, stay the course, you can grow a church like this. We just got in our new building and it's wonderful, but 14 years we did this, 14 years we did this, and we grew, and we grew men, men of God doing this, so this is a, this is a good thing, don't look at this as a problem, this is an opportunity, this is an opportunity, but... But we had a situation in the lobby and someone collapsed and the ambulance was called and people were upset and concerned. And when the, when the, when the uh, police and the, the uh, EMTs arrived, very typically gruff Jersey City manner, they started barking orders and telling people to get back and leave and whatever, whatever. And uh, uh, so one of our leaders took it upon herself to, in fact, I think maybe, no, I don't think that's true. I think I or one of, the, one of the staff pastors told her to have people clear the lobby. So she turned around and she said, everybody out of the lobby, go to the auditorium now. And I was standing around the corner and I heard it. And so I pulled her aside and I said, that wasn't very life-giving. That, that didn't sound good. I saw people leaving with kind of frowns on their face, looking like kids got in trouble. You know, nobody was doing anything wrong there. Everybody's concerned about somebody laying on the floor. Understand, we needed to move everybody to the lobby. What she did was right. But how she did it didn't fit our values. Does that make any sense? We had a situation a couple of weeks ago where a teacher... Uh, in our tapestry kids was dealing with a child that was being very unruly. Before any of her leaders knew what had happened, it was before the actual service part began, she took the child because she was friends with the mother. And she took the child upstairs to the auditorium to the mother and said, he's being bad. Well, when my wife found out about it, she hit the ceiling. And so she went and got the child from the auditorium and said, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I'll take care of it. She took the child back downstairs. And I heard her in the hall with the teacher. She said, look, when you're a teacher in here, you're nobody's friend. You serve these kids. And if you got a problem with a child and you don't know how to handle it, that's what I'm here for. I'll help you figure out how to solve the problem. But you're nobody's friend. You're, you're the teacher. We're here to serve these children. The lady, what she did was right. She didn't do anything wrong. It's what she would have done if she was at home or anywhere else. But she wasn't at home or anywhere else. She was on our turf doing ministry. And so what she did did not fit our values or our vision. I don't know if these are very good examples or not. 
But, but a lady came into our building a couple months ago and she was ranting and raving about water leaking in her, in her store that our building is over top of. And she came in and one of our uh, staff was there cleaning the, the, the building. And uh, the lady just came in just irate, really behaving badly. And, and the lady that uh, was cleaning is a fairly new convert and she just met fire with fire. And she just stood up to her and didn't take nothing. But the problem is I'm in relationship with that store owner. And so that store owner calls me up and says, that fat lady in your church, and she just told me everything she said. Well, you know, I know that this store owner is a pill and a half. I know how she came on to this lady in our church. And in any other setting, you know, it would be what it is. But it's not. It's the kingdom of God. It's the church. You don't get to stand up for yourself like that. Sorry. And so we had to pull her aside and say, hey, that's not how we handle confrontation and conflict like that because that does not fit our values as a church. Come on, somebody. How many of you want to be leaders in the kingdom of God? No, really. I can't hardly see. But how many of you would like to be leaders in the kingdom of God? Let me just tell you, your ceiling for that possibility is very, very low if you cannot be corrected. If, if, you can't, if no one can put boundaries on you. If nobody in love can say, eh, no, let's not. Your ceiling is very low. But the more you can take it, the higher your ceiling of probability and possibility in really being a leader in the body of Christ. The more God can use a man and a woman to come alongside you and say, look, do it this way. This would probably be a better way to say that. Well, I just don't think. Well, then your ceiling is very low. Come on, somebody. I don't know. I'm not doing that good today, but just out of love, say amen every now and then. Just, and God will bless you for it. Look at somebody and tell them the main thing. The main thing. What is it? This one thing, Paul said. This one thing I do. And then he says three things, doesn't he? This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching for those things which are before. Three things. I press towards the mark. But not really. It's really just one. It's really just one and it's right there. Really, he's saying, this one thing I do. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the one thing Paul is talking about. The main thing is a goal. I press towards the goal. The main thing that Paul is talking about is a goal. But what goal? Because if your goals are screwed up, you're in trouble. I grew up in an organization where too much value was put on the dress code. And... Uh, my daughter comes down the stairs this morning. She's preaching at Tapestry today. And she came down and she said, is this okay, Dad, for preaching today? Showed me her outfit, which I, I'm not that controlling, but we have a wonderful relationship. And she's so honoring. That's just the way she is. She said, am I dressed okay? I said, well, I don't like it. But it fits our vision and values. 
And it matches our other staff pastor ladies when they preach. So, so then she came back down a few minutes later. She had a pretty little frilly skirt on, which you, if you know Brooklyn, you know that's not really her. She came down with this real pretty lace thing on. And I could tell by the look on her face that it wasn't what she wanted to wear. I said, come on, get out of here. Go put the, your, your jeans back on. And, and she did. But... But she had the right spirit. I, I, I forgot what I was going to say about that. But, but I grew up in an organization where it didn't matter how much you prayed or spoke tongues or, or got baptized or won souls or worked miracles. If you didn't dress a certain way, which was very, very, very strict, then you weren't even a Christian. You weren't even saved. You were going to hell just because of the way you Dressed. Now, I'm just going to say this, and this ain't my place, but, you know, I still think dress matters. And I think the Bible speaks to it in both testaments. And I do think it's unfortunate that so many are silent on the subject today. Um, and, and even worse, many leaders in church culture are setting a terrible example of modesty. Uh, I'm 54. I can say some of this stuff now. Uh, next year, I'll be a senior citizen. So I'm going to just go ahead and I'm just going to go ahead and and jump into that. Uh, but. But, but with all that said, it's not the main thing. It's not the main thing. It was the main thing when I grew up, but it's not the main thing. It's not what saves us. Our outward appearance is not what saves us. It's not the main thing. And no one should elevate it to that level. When you judge people only by the outside, you are really missing out on an opportunity to know people. Other people focus on not eating pork or having church on Saturday or not celebrating Halloween or Christmas so much so that they can't participate in a fellowship that violates any of those values that they hold. I heard this is a true story of a church that some of the people wanted a Christmas tree for their Christmas party and others didn't and the church was divided. True story. This really happened. It was in the newspapers. And when it came time to the Christmas party, the group that wanted the tree got there early and set up a tree. And then the group that didn't want the tree when they got there, the other group wasn't in the room. They took it down and drug it out and put it in the parking lot. And the first group found out about it. They went out to the parking lot, got it, and brought it back in. And the second group got it again and drug it out a second time, which erupted in a fist fight in the parking lot between church members over Christmas tree. Isn't that crazy? Then lawsuits. And imagine the poor community and how sad for our Lord who paid such a high price for the church to have it mired in such nonsense, focusing on things that don't matter. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is inside of you. It's internal. It's hidden. It's valuable. It's inside of you. I heard about another family and this is my last illustration, and I'll sit down. But another family, this was on Focus on the Family radio show. They required their daughter to have private time with the Lord every day. They required their teenage daughter to spend time alone with the Lord every day, as well as many other very strict rules. And um, I don't like strictness. I'll just be honest with you. If you're a strict parent, I don't like you. Pray for me. I need to. I love you. I just. I don't like you. 
uh, I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think strictness is a good thing. I, I have not seen strictness produce good results in Christian homes. But, but anyway, never mind. Uh, eventually, this daughter rebelled and, and sued her parents in court to the point that the state intervened and removed her from her home at her own request. And of course, the family was on the radio talk show bemoaning the interference of, of the state. As if that was the problem. When the real problem was they forgot what mattered. And they focused on an external fruit of an intimate relationship with God and forced that fruit on a child rather than just exampling it and making it appealing and something the child would want to emulate and love. Don't ever make your children pray. That's between them and God. That's holy. You can't touch that. Don't ever force spiritual things in, sense, in the sense of personal relationship with God. Sure, force them to go to church, of course. You make them go to school, don't you? Of course you make them go to church. It's your responsibility to do so. You should make them go to youth camp and youth service and anything like that. But, but, but don't pressure them in their spiritual relationship with God. The main thing. So what is it? All this time, Pastor Anthony, when are you going to tell us what you're talking about? The main thing. I think Jesus answers it in Mark 12, 28 through 30. When one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment, but he didn't leave it there. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I could preach right there for two hours and have before, so don't tempt me. But in a nutshell here, in one word, the main thing is relationships. That's the main thing. Relationships. Authentic, life-giving relationships with God, with others, and with yourself. If you want to give yourself a litmus test of your spiritual growth, here is one right here. Here is one. Your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and your relationship with yourself. The way this unpacks for us uh, in, in the local church is worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. I made up my mind a long time ago that I was going to focus more on helping people inter relate with God and interact with God in prayer and worship and Bible reading because the benefit and fruit of that is so much greater than me trying to get them to do the things that that will produce if they do those things. And I try to get people to change their life and be a better person. And, and, and you know, I, I get tired sometimes on preaching, getting married, and quit shacking up. Uh, although we, we got we to address the issue occasionally, but I'm not going to harp on it because I figured out if I can get you to read your Bible, if I can get you to worship God when you come to church and not just spectate, if I can get you praying sooner or later, it's not just my voice you're going to hear. You're in relationship with God. He's going to preach to you. Come on, somebody. Does that make any sense? 
the main thing is relationships. Relationships. And I guess, I guess my point is this, man, is there's we, some of us, how many of you grew up in a Christian home or Christian church? Okay, at least half of us, you know. And I think it's sad that we grew up hearing a whole list for some of us of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. And most of them were, or a lot of them were goofy. And we were like, why? Because the pastor said. I, I literally remember, I literally remember in school saying, it's against my religion. We used to say that. It's against my religion. Uh, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't know why. We didn't know where it was in the Bible. But we couldn't go to the movie theater because it's against our religion. We couldn't go roller skating because it's against our religion. We couldn't, we couldn't play volleyball in school because it's against our religion. Right? And, and, and so, but no one talked to us about the condition of our heart towards our fellow man. No one ever preached about how you treat somebody when they treat you badly. No one ever talked about loving your enemy and forgiving those that have hurt you. Never hardly heard, not very much, on those most, Jesus said, important subjects. Most important commandment, Jesus said. Jesus said, no greater commandment than this. Love God with everything you got. Love other people like you love yourself. Commanded to love others. Commanded to love myself and God. Main things. Main things. Because I'm telling you, when you focus on the right stuff, it makes a world of difference. When you focus on the right stuff, things that are worth fighting for. Things that are worth fighting for. And then Paul, he tells us how... And, and I'm, I'm coming in, I see the landing lights. But Paul, Paul tells us how to do this one thing. Paul says, this is how, this one thing I do, and then this should be in parentheses, really, I think. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark. Or really, we could rewrite it. I should have done this. We could rewrite it. This one thing I do... I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus by forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for those things which are before. This is how I hit the goal. This is how I hit the mark. This is how I focus on the main thing. First of all, I figure out what the main thing is, and we started by saying it's relationships that matter. And the way I do that, the way I achieve healthy relationships is I forget the bad and good past. I quit obsessing on yesterday, and I stay focused on tomorrow. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, Pastor, just a little bit. You knew if you had me, I would do that. <clears throat> Got quiet. But it never ceases to amaze me when people come to tapestry, de-churched. The unchurched, they're easy. They're like, there's a God? Yippee! What do I do? But, but the de-churched, when they come, bemoaning all the wrongs of their former church, and fall in love with the life-giving and spiritual culture, 
and reclaim their faith, those same people within a few weeks start questioning how we do things and begin trying to fix us and make us like their old church that they hated. And this is hard to understand unless you understand the psychology that we feel safe with the familiar. And it doesn't matter how good the unfamiliar is, we don't feel safe with it. And it doesn't matter how bad the familiar was, psychologically we feel safe with it. So when we find something great, we immediately go to work to make it like what we hated. It's the truth. It's the truth. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting the church you came from. Forgetting how they did it. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching for the future. Did God place you in this church? Ask yourself this question. Did God bring me here? This is what I say to people when they come to me with their issues and their complaints. I just stop them and I say, I'm not going to debate with you. I just want to know, did God bring you to this church? Yes, okay then. Trust Him. Follow me. Let's go. Not going to sit here and debate all day with you. Did God bring you here? Does God know what He's doing? If God brought you here, love it. Just love it. Just love it. Just quit trying to change everything and fix everything. You know, as pastors, we want to say, how many churches have you built, sucker? How many souls have you won? You know, we're flesh and blood. We can't do that because it's against our vision and values. But we want to on the inside. We're saying, yeah, stupid person. But on the outside, we say, oh, dear brother, I understand. The reason we have lights and curtains. But look at this. Remember not the former things. Boy, this, this flies in the face of some theology. Isaiah 43 Remember not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. You know, even God gets bored. I'm telling you, I think God gets bored with church. If people get bored with church, imagine how bored God gets with church. He said, I want to do a new thing. And this new thing, it'll make a way where there is no way. And it'll bring rivers in the desert. It'll... It'll bring refreshing to dry places in your life if you're willing to let go of the old and embrace the new. This one thing I do, I forget the past and I reach for the future. I feel like I'm preaching to someone today. I've been more on fire before, but I feel like I'm on target the past 
is a distraction. That's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me this morning. The past is a distraction. Politics is a distraction. One of the biggest ones we have in our country right now, politics is a distraction. Don't don't invest your heart and your energy into stuff that don't matter. Jesus did not die for the United States of America. The Bible said Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I have to watch myself. I have to watch myself. I, I got leanings too. Everybody's got leanings. But then I got to say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not the main thing. You know what's crazy? We might be the only church I know with executive leadership that are both Republican, like fierce, devout Republican. I won't say who they are. And Democrats on the same lead team, devout left wing almost Maybe not quite, but Democrats on the same lead team, doing life together, loving one another. Take that, devil. Now, some of you are are, are looking at me like, you mean Republicans can be saved? I didn't even know. I'm just telling you you got to keep the main thing the main thing because you know what? Whatever your stripe is, whatever your flavor, whatever your leaning is, God has somebody on your soul-winning list that's on the other side of that issue. You better keep the main thing the main thing because the past can distract you. But Jesus boils it down for us a little further a little later in his ministry, earlier in his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And I love this passage of Scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me. That is the, the anointing. That's the tangible, felt presence of God. It's one thing to have the Spirit of the Lord on you. It's another thing to be anointed. You can, you, can, you can have the Spirit on you and not be in that close relationship of tangible, felt experience. But the anointing, that's the oil dripping down. What's the purpose of the anointing? And, and not only that sent me. I Notice, I know, I rearranged this a little bit to make it more readable because we don't live 600 years ago. The Spirit of the Lord, your Bible says the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and sent me to heal the broken. But really, really what it's saying is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me and sent me to for this purpose. Why do you have the Holy Ghost? Why do you speak tongues? Why do you feel the presence of God on your life? Here's the two, the purpose to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. This is the, the purpose. 
This is the purpose. This is the main thing. Healthy relationships. Keep that up there. Healthy relationships and healthy experiences personally with God and the ability to translate and transmit that to other people. Now, here's, what I, here's where I want to close today. It is unfortunate that many people experience the anointing and receive the gospel and go no farther and never really fully experience the healing of their heart Genuine deliverance from the things that have them bound. We tolerate all kinds of emotional brokenness in our lives that Jesus died on the cross to set us free. Primarily in our generation, it's anger. Depression is a big player, but I would say the biggest player is anger. Probably the second biggest player is fear, phobias, anxiety. And then maybe depression Sexual proclivities is high on that list. Jesus died and sent us to be delivered and to deliver others from captivity. The recovery of sight to the blind, I don't even have time to unpack that. Paul talks about the eyes of your heart being enlightened. Most people's eyes in their heart are still in the dark. Because our, our heart's eyes are focused on the past, and that's dark. And our, when, when, we, when we learn to see things the way God sees them, that's the enlightenment of our heart's eyes. Don't even have time to talk about that. And set at liberty them that are bruised. This word bruised here in the, in the original Greek translates life-shattering experiences. It's literally the translation, the, the dictionary definition of the word in the original Greek is life-shattering experiences. Set at liberty them that are bruised doesn't make sense in the, in, in, by itself. Bruised, liberty, that doesn't go together. Unless you understand that life-shattering experiences cause bondage and captivity to happen to people and people live within the forced perimeters of emotional conditions that were forced on them by what happened to them. And Jesus said, I, I, this is the purpose of the anointing. This is the purpose of the anointing is to set people free from the emotional bondage that is a result of what they've been and what they've been through. This is the purpose of the anointing. Come on out, folks. This is the purpose, and this is what God has sent me for. But here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. We can't help others while we're sick. Until we experience a full gust of the glory of God upon our lives to forgive the past and release the pain and believe the truth of God's love and God's provision in my life. As long as I am focusing on other things and I'm not focusing on this, 
I'm just asking you, how are you doing? I, 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 I crafted just three little questions here to ask you. How are you doing with your heart's healing? How are you doing with that? Because I'm just talking to you today about the main thing. How are you doing with getting your heart healed? How are you doing with that? Because that's the main thing. Is getting better on the inside. See, 80% of children raised in Christian homes don't grow up to be Christians. And this is why. Because mom and dad preached one thing, but they demonstrated from their brokenness something else at home. And so their faith didn't look like peace, love, and joy. It looked like something else because they didn't get the main thing. They didn't get the main thing. Are you getting the main thing? I made up my mind my children are going to be saved no matter what it takes. I told my daughter one time when she was a teenager in high school and she was going through a rough patch, I said, I'm resigning the church and we're moving back to Louisiana. And I'm going I'm to get a job and we're going to go to a good church because Jersey City can't have my children. She cried. She said, no, Daddy, please. I don't want to leave and this is our destiny and I'm going to be okay and I'm going to pray and I'm, I'm going to be all right, please. I said, girl, I will not sacrifice you to the principalities of this area. No, no, no. We're going to Louisiana. Honey, pack our bags. Sell the house. We're out of here. Not going to, not going to, not going to, not going to lose what matters most. Focusing on the main thing. How you doing? How you doing with personal deliverance or are you just continually excusing the bondage in your life <clears throat> this is why small groups matter this is why relationships matter because when you're in small group relationships you can't just come to church and clap and say amen and not change because nobody knows anything about you but now you're in you're in groups and you're in meaningful groups and you're being pastored and shepherded and and you have to grow because there's people that know you and there's people that are saying ah no that ain't right how, how are you with that how are you doing with accountability how are you doing with personal deliverance how are you doing recovering have you really forgiven that person that hurt you so bad let me tell you something this this me too campaign I, I don't want to in any way suggest that I would defend sexual harassment or abuse by people in power it's a terrible thing but I promise you this I promise you this not one person has received healing and emotional health by accusing another and prosecuting or defaming because that's not God's way. Two wrongs never make a right. You may not like it and you may not understand it, but for the grace of God to be fully realized in your life, you must forgive. It's against culture. It's against everything we hear every day. You must forgive. You must release it. And I speak from experience. I speak from experience. How you doing? Can you talk about situations and people without getting angry? 
Can you tell your story without feeling shame or embarrassment? Can you tell your story without crying and getting emotional? If you can't, then you're not healed. You may be saved, you may have heard the gospel, but you're still hurting. There's still bondage. You still need deliverance. The main thing. Let me tell you why this church matters. Let me tell you why this church is important in Staten Island. Because God is raising up a ministry that's not going to major on minors. God wants to grow this church into such that if it was ever gone, it would leave a vacancy in Staten Island that no other church would fill. An empty spot of ministry. A church that can absolutely become proficient at healing people as they come in the door. That we get healed to the point that when the broken come in, we say, oh boy, I know just what they need. I know just how to help her. I know just how to help him because I have been healed. I have been healed. I have been healed. I, was, I just want to challenge you today. Saint, member, guest, I just want to challenge you today. I want to create an appetite in you for healing, for deliverance, for the tangible felt presence of the anointing of God to be stronger on you than it has ever been before. And I close with this statement. Every excuse you make for your sin, for your attitude, or for your behavior is a limitation you're putting on the Spirit of God in your life. But when you say, all right, uh, no more excuses. I've lived for God long enough this way. I'm tired of this level. I'm tired of this devil. I'm tired of this experience. I want to go to the next level. I, I want to be happy. I want to enjoy my walk and my life. I, I want to be healed to be a healer. I want to be delivered so that I can be a deliverer. I want to be blessed so that I can be a blessing. If that's you, if I've preached to anybody today and this has really struck a nerve in your heart, I would like to ask you, just you, not everyone, to stand with me. If I've preached to you today, I'm not going to do anything to anybody. I just, we just need a moment of honesty. And if, if I haven't really hit you today, then just stay seated. But, but if, I've, if, I, if I've spoken to you from the heart of God today, then I want you to stand up to say, yes, I, this is me. I, I need healing. I need to focus on the main thing. I need to be healed. I need to be healed. We had an experience a couple years ago at youth camp. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and just I stopped the prayer service 
the young people were praying. I stopped it. And I said, there's some girls in here that you need to say his name. The man who raped you or molested you. You need to say his name. And you need to say, God, I forgive and say his name. And I said, if you'll do that right now, you're going to be delivered. And then I released everyone to pray. And I said, go ahead, do it right now. And girls started falling out in that place. A couple girls began to manifest demonic possession as they were delivered with no one praying for them just by saying the man's name, I forgive him. I forgive him. I dare somebody in this house right now just between you and God to whisper a name of some person that has caused you great injury that you know that hurt is still lodged in your heart. I dare you to just say their name out loud and just say, Jesus, I forgive her, him, them. I forgive them. I forgive them. They lied on me, but I, I forgive them. They stole from me, but I forgive them. They hurt me, but I forgive them. I release that. I want to be healed. I can't carry this anymore. I dare you, I dare you, I dare you. I dare you to pray for that person. Jesus said, pray for them and bless them. I dare you to say their name and say, God, bless them. God, save them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This altar's open. I'm going to release this to the team and to the pastor. I'd love to pray with any of you that feel the need to pray. I don't know how you normally conclude here, but I really hope you'll stay long enough to experience a touch from God in your life. Whatever it is that you've gotten focused on that doesn't matter. On that level, put it where it belongs and focus on the main thing. God, I pray for this church and I pray for this people right now. God, I pray for a revival at Kuhau. I pray for a move of the Holy Ghost to come upon this people of deliverance, of healing, and of breakthrough in the name of Jesus Christ. For the glory of God and for the harvest of souls in this city and in this neighborhood. In the name of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.